This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, is brought to you by Fermented Adventure Swag. Dawn, Fermented Adventure has swag. I know, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Now, how do people find our swag? They can go to our website at fermentedadventure.com and there's an apparel tab. Click on that and it'll take you directly there. Click on the apparel tab and you're going to find shirts with the Fermented Adventure podcast logo on there, right? Exactly. What we wear when we're out and about. Also, we're going to be highlighting holidays, anniversaries, Bar mitzvahs. No, we're not going to be doing that, are we? <laughs> no, but with special special days, yes. Look on our website because we have a couple Cinco de Mayo t-shirts coming out that we know you're going to love and wear on Cinco de Mayo. Yep, they should be out next week. Check us out. FermentedAdventure.com. Click on the apparel tab and wear our swag. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guest. He's Dave Clawer. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast, and we're talking with Alma Cider today. Now, Dave, we're not just talking to Alma Cider today. We're talking to you outside at Alma Cider today, yes? Uh, we are outside of Tulip Valley Winery, where uh, we produce our cider. Now, these are the things that I always want to know. And what's exciting for me is, what is your origin story for Alma Cider? How did it all get started for you? Yeah, so I'm not from the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in uh, Southern California and not really around apples at all. And um, I moved here. My wife and I are both registered nurses. And I moved here as a travel nurse back in uh, 2008 to Washington State. Um, Actually, back in the 90s, I thought I was going to be a professional snowboarder and uh, hurt my knee really bad down in in the Andes in South America one summer. And so that went away. Wow, you were really hardcore. I mean, some people dream of being professional snowboarders. But you're traveling to do this. Yeah, I was I was into it. Um, but I recall in the 90s uh, hearing about this, watching a, a video about this place with the world record snowfall, Mount Baker, Washington. And so I got the opportunity to be a travel nurse and Mount Baker, Washington is very near here. And so I said, hey, I'm going to go there and check it out. And so I moved here for the mountain. It was summertime and I just fell in love with the greenery um, and fell in love with my, my wife who I met. And so now I'm from Washington state. And uh, shortly after we met, uh, one of the gals at work had a party. It was a apple harvest party. 
And so if you want to imagine um, about 50 people, uh, you know, grandparents, toddlers running around, everything in between, everybody's wearing flannels because it's the fall, there's a fire going, everybody brought whatever fruit they had from, you know, their houses or house down the street where they got some apples um, and everybody took turns grinding and you're making that you're making the pressing yeah for for people who can't see this on the audio podcast dave's making the pressing movement (laughs) yeah it's a lot of cranking in uh, the old days and so they had a a press and everybody left with a jug of juice Uh, it was a fantastic party and uh i had brewed beer in my college days and a friend of mine handed me some yeast and said here pitch this yeast and see what what happens and so uh i i put it in some glass carboys that i had and um pitched the yeast and honestly i kind of forgot about it and it just sat all winter and then the next spring spring cleaning kind of cleaning out the garage oh yeah i made this cider here and actually my wife says that's the very very best cider that i've ever made um due to no intervention at all. I just left it. You saying that I'm trying to picture, I mean, the yeast by this time has eaten all the residual sugar from those apples. Yeah. What's it like? I mean, I guess there's so many questions I have for you, but given that it probably sat for about four more months, mm-hmm. that maybe four to five more months longer than it maybe should have. How does that interact or it just stops and it just becomes still, you know, still yeah, so, fermented uh, juice. As the yeast consumes sugar, uh, what they do is they make two byproducts. So they make CO2, the bubbles come out the top, and then they make alcohol. And the sugar is is, is eaten away. And the yeast and other products um, in the juice all fluctuate down to the bottom and turn into something called a lees. And the lees is a thick sediment along the bottom. Uh, if you were to go to Europe or many other places, and now more popular as, as cider is growing in the United States, uh, leaving the cider on the lees can impart lots more rich flavors. And um, you can use that tagline too, Rich, if you want rich flavors. Um, I'm all for it. Okay. I, yeah. Normally, I help other people work on their taglines. Dave, you're helping me with mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, this, is, uh, this is great. Uh, so I, I, I did nothing to it and it sat on the leaves and then I racked it off the leaves, which is typically what you would do. And, um, so some, uh, Spanish cedras, also French ciders, um, often they'll leave it on the leaves for quite a while. Also English ciders too. Um, but it does give it a different kind of a character for sure. And so that was my first experience making cider. And so it's not been that long. It's only been like 12 years, but, um, Apples are really plentiful up here in Washington state and uh, actually in Skagit Valley where we live. So it's in the Western part of Washington. Um, we are divided by, from Eastern Washington by the Cascade mountain range. And we're about 48 latitude, which if you were to cross the globe is the same latitude as Normandy, France and um, the apple growing regions um, near um in england and so we are also right up against the sea it's the salish sea so we're protected by the puget sound but prior to washington being the top 
apple grower and hop grower in the United States and in the world, um, much of the hops and apples were grown over on this side. And so they grow really well here. And so getting fruit is really, really easy. Um, and not just fruit, but like world-class fruit, really, um, just because of our climate and wh- how we're situated with the mountains and the ocean. Um, so I continued making cider and I made more and more. And then I found out per U.S. law, you could make 200 gallons of cider per individual in your household per year. And so we started making lots of cider. And then uh, you, you I, discovered your ceiling and you were going to live right up to it, weren't you? Yeah, we used to have really big parties in the summertime. And, you know, um, so cider used to be the most consumed uh, beverage in the United States. People drank it more than water because it was safer. And so they would um, wake up and drink cider. I mean, they would literally take a break from farming and drink cider. They'd go to the pub and drink cider. I mean, it was cider all the time. Right. And uh, so the farmhands went to work at farms based on how good the farmer made cider. That was part of the the, uh, decision-making process for them to work. It was also Um, in their contract. They had to provide, they had to be provided cider or or as payment at the end of the month, there was also a cider in that contract too. Like a cider stipend. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, So eventually my my volumes grew and um, I made friends with some local orchardists and uh, I'm actually, I go to school right now. I'm, I'm looking to get away from nursing, but uh, I'm going to school. I'm getting my master's in agriculture. And I had this idea that, you know, told my wife, Hey, let's um, start a vineyard or something. And people kind of laughed at the idea because I'm a nurse. What would I know about having a vineyard? Uh, but so I decided I'll get my master's in agriculture and then, now people are like, that's a great idea. You should do something like that. And um, so I befriended a winery, which is across the street from the extension here in Mount Vernon, Washington, uh, the Washington State University extension where I, where I take classes. Um, and I, I came over and I, I asked the owner, I met him and I said, hey, uh, I got some pears, but I don't have a way to process them you think I could use some of your equipment and I'll give you some of the juice? And uh, he said, sure. And he didn't realize, but I was bringing over 2000 pounds of pears and then some pears. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I gave him some juice and we made friends. And then the next year I said, uh, Hey, I I got a little bit more fruit. Um, You think I could use your equipment again? And uh, that year we brought over like 4,000 pounds and he just gave me a key to the place and said, here you go. Use the equipment. And so we produce our cider here at this winery. It's a beautiful facility. The, um, the barn is from 1888. Um, wow. If you ever come to Washington, we'll give you a tour. Uh, the Skagit Valley where we produce is a huge agricultural region. Um, we're the second largest producer of tulip bulbs in the world. And actually right now is tulip season. So there's lots of tourists coming. Uh, we're the main producer of cabbage seed in the world um red potatoes we grow 90 percent of the u.s's red potatoes in the small little valley uh lots of blueberries small red berries um and so we're gonna put apples on the map and 
Um, my business is called Bitters and Sharps, and it's an orcharding business, and we have a tree fruit license and also a wholesale nursery license. And I started grafting trees uh, about five, five years ago. And so we grafted a thousand trees our first year. Now, you did this on the same location as the winery where you are now, or are there other farms and other part, parcels of land that you're using? Yeah, so I graft the trees in, in my backyard, not here at the winery. Uh, we purchased 36 acres just a little bit north of here, um, which we plan to plan out with, with apples. Uh, I have a thousand trees here at the winery. Um, I'm standing in front of this is an audio um, podcast, but if it were a video, I'm standing in front of about 2.3 acres on this side of apples and pears. And then there's an additional 1.7 acres of apples on the other side of the building um, on the east side. And then we've also uh, leased land here in the valley. Um, this year, we leased an additional 3.5 acres at one location and an additional 1.5 acres at another location. And so we're going to just have a bunch of little fruit baskets, um, apples everywhere. So we're going to bring back the glory of apples in Skagit Valley on the west side of the Cascades. And this year we grafted about 3,600 trees. Oh, wow. um, so every year we're just growing. And um, in 2024, we'll start to see um, a lot of fruit. And so our original idea, going back to the origin story, was uh, I wanted to have this master's in agriculture. And I took this class and uh, the economics professor uh, as agricultural economics and in uh, collaboration with my committee chair um, wrote this paper about cider fruit and the fees it was a feasibility study so going back to 2006 there was eight eighty thousand gallons of cider produced in washington state flashing forward to 2016 800,000 gallons of cider produced in Washington state. In that interim period, nobody planted cider specific fruit. And so I said, hey, there's a gap and I wanna fill that gap. So we started grafting trees and uh, we went and canvassed local cideries. Um, just here in the Valley, there's six cider makers and up in Bellingham, which is uh, the next major city North just before the Canadian border, um, there's an additional five cideries. And so we went around and asked people, Hey, we're, we're going to be growing this fruit. What do you think? And, um, every single one of them said, we'll buy every apple you can make. And so we said, Hey, this sounds like a good, a good business to go into. And so we started grafting trees. And then later we, we realized, you know, um, something called a value added product. So Apples um, are really good. Uh, it's called farm gate. So um, as far as inputs you put in, um, output you get out in sales, uh, apples is a good um, crop to grow. But if you do a value added, so say you cut them up into slices and put them in baggies and you go through a drive-thru and you get that in your um little kid's meal, um, that's a value added product. Or if you dry them and make apple chips, that's a value added product. Uh, or if you press them and make juice, that's a value added product. And if you press them, make juice and then ferment it, that is truly a big value added product. So um, 
we're basically started making cider to pay for the orchard because uh, you can make a lot more money in that. And then uh, I just really like apples and learning about apples. Uh, we have like 110 different cultivars that we're growing, trialing out, seeing what grows best here. Um, and so I think we will sell apples in the region and produce our own uh, cider. And I really just want to make the best possible product. So um, learning as much as I can about apples and cider making process, um, making it here at a winery has been really helpful because the winemakers here um, have taught me a lot about the process. Um, making cider is, it's a fruit wine. And um, so making it at a winery um, and going back to that original time I made cider, I still make it in that kind of a way. So everything's aged. We press it, we pick it fresh. So we, we grow some apples, uh, we get apples locally, we pick them fresh and then we press them. Um, and so there's lots of opportunities to look at the fruit as it's growing, as it's picked before it's pressed. We only press, you know, good looking fruit. Um, and then we press it fresh and then ferment it. And then we just let it do its thing. And we rack it a couple of times to get it off of the leaves and let it age and mature. And so right now, today's April 11th, um, over the weekend, I just bottled my first batch that was pressed from the first apples that we picked last year in, you know, September. And so everything's aged five, six months. And I think it really allows that cider to, to mature and, speak for itself all the all the great uh, aromas and flavors come out now you said a lot like you've given uh, one of the things Sorry, I get from, I, I'll, no, just, I'll just keep talking about this is awesome because <laughs> the, the geek the cider geek in me loves everything you're saying and there's so many you know points that you touched on where you know i get this hey i'm dave i go big or i go home i i'm not going to do it halfway i'm going to do it all the way cider producers may not say I'm going to go get my master's in agriculture. What you're doing to change the picture of the region where you are, I just had this vision as you were speaking about it, that this becomes almost like the Napa of cider making. And is that for all the growers in the area or all the producers in the area, is that a vision that you'd like to see where this becomes, I, I think about it, and Alma Cider started in what, 2019, right? Yes. I mean, you're starting in Washington State, which to me is, you know, it's it's like saying, you know, I want to take up golf. So you start playing some of some of these larger golf producing areas. Right. You, yeah. you don't you don't pick a small little regional space. You, you go to Washington State and you say, I'm going to start making cider. Yeah. You have this vision of it seems and, and we've had your cider. You've had that. You have this vision of excellence and and high quality. And you're going to know everything that you do. That's what I get from everything you just said about the process to where you are today. Absolutely. So um, to uh, draw a comparison, um, pretend you're, you're enjoying a Thanksgiving meal and people bring uh, pie. And so somebody goes to, you know, a big uh, box store where they're a member and, and they purchase a pumpkin pie and it is delicious. And then somebody else 
maybe they they make their own crust and then they make a pie and it's delicious. So I'm the guy who I, I grow the pumpkins and and then and then you after, got the, you're making your own the, butter for the crust. <laughs> uh, well, I, I would. I don't know. Yeah. I, so we're uh, from scratch and uh, I, I kind of made this little slogan from graft to glass. And so I want to be in control as much as I can of every aspect to make the best possible product. So um, we're growing, we're grafting trees and growing them and letting them mature. That takes a while. And we want to see what grows best here. Initially, when we started, you know, a lot of people want to make like an English style cider or a French style cider. I want to make a Pacific Northwest cider. And so we want to grow the best stuff that grows here in our area. And then make the best possible cider. So I think when I met you, uh, CiderCon in Virginia, I, I was there to support the American Cider Association because they do such such great work and to network and learn at the convention through the conferences. Um, but my main reason for going there was to take the Pamalia test. And that's just another way that I could learn more about cider so that I can make the best possible cider and that I could speak about it intent intelligently and get more people pumped up about cider and apples. That, that's my goal. Congratulations are in order for passing your test. Uh, partial congratulations. So okay. uh, no, zero people passed. What? Uh, there, were, but, there were like 20 people that, that, that took the class and test, weren't there? There was 30 people that, that, that took the test. And um, this is uh, uh, as far as I know, um, so nine people became Pamaliers this year. And uh, there's two portions of the test. There's the theory portion, which I passed, and I think many people may have. And then the sensory analysis, which is the more difficult part. Um, they uh, bill it as a very challenging test. And so not many people passed. Uh, usually, historically, only about 3% of test takers pass. But if you pass one portion, uh, as I did, um, you're allowed to retake the second portion in the same year. And so in June, luckily for me, it's um, the sensory analysis portion will be held here in Seattle, which is about Perfect. six miles south of us. And so I aim to pass that um, well, to go and take it anyways. But even, you know, just just studying for it, I learned so much about apples. It's a journey, uh, right? And that's why you're yeah. doing what you're doing, because the more you learn, like you said, you, you, I can feel your energy and your exuberance for just talking apples and cider and agriculture. It's infectious, Dave. It comes, it comes out. And I think that was one of the things that for Dawn and I, that resonated, you know, immediately when we met you at the, uh, the bottle share, the, the bottle tasting that there's so much, of, hey, I just want you to know, you're like, you're standing there going, how much of what I know can I share with you so you become excited too? Oh, absolutely. So um, we're, we're teaching a, a grafting workshop here locally on, on Earth Day, April 24th. Uh, if you're in the area, come down, we'll teach you how to graft. I'll share all my knowledge. Uh, we're bringing scion wood so people could make cool trees. Hopefully they'll start making cider too. I got four other uh, people interested in growing trees here and they've started planting little orchards. Cider does not have the same in the United States, the same protections as wine does. So wine has a AVA, it's American Viticulture 
area. And so, as you said, Napa is an AVA and Washington State has several AVAs for wine. Cider does not have that yet. And so you cannot write on the bottle um, where where the apples are grown or the vintage, the year um, yet. But I know that the American Cider Association and also uh, another association that I'm a member of, the Northwest Cider Association, um, they are working with um, people in law to help get these things passed so that we can share the agricultural regions. And I hope that someday on other people's bottles, it says, you know, apples from Bitters and Sharps Orchard and in Skagit Valley. And uh, so we want to just bring the whole region up and get more people. I think that uh, I'm still learning the cider making process. We've had a lot of accolades, you know, recently we have won awards at Lint Cap and Sips Magazine and um, Cidercraft Magazine. But I think uh, we, we want to showcase the ability of this area and have it be known. So making world-class cider, maybe someday I'll be there. But uh, growing world-class apples, I know we could do that right now. We're already doing it. To your point, and talking about that distinction of creating where the apples and, and the, the, the viniculture, right? I think that's going to raise cider to that expected next level of the consumer. Cider making is where craft beer was a number of years ago. Let's say go back 15, 20 years and it's only going to be a matter of time. Like you're you're in Washington State, so brewing beer is a whole different world. But when you look at the overall consumer who's still being educated about cider and talking about cider apples versus eating apples and and all the things that you can do, it, it's it's comforting and it's exciting for me to see somebody like you working with, as you said, the American Cider Association and the Northwest Cider Association to raise the level and quality and expectation of the consumer, that's just only going to make it better for people that love cider. Oh, yes, definitely. And also, um, you know, also for the growers. So let's give them some credit. You know, they they work hard. Farmers work really hard. Um, you know, we're, I, I get up at like 3.30 in the morning to start working on stuff. And, um, and we work hard to, to get out the best possible crop and uh so i think we should be uh recognized for that and if somebody in california or philadelphia picks up a bottle and like they would maybe for wine and it says from napa valley they have an expectation of what that's going to be and so eventually um you pick up a bottle and it says skagit valley apples um you're going to know that it, they're the highest quality in the country i hope I believe so. At this point, that's where you're going. Yeah. Um, so Alma, Alma Cider, how did you, how did that get started? I mean, I know you started with, you know, putting a carboy in your garage and letting it sit, but flash forward to 2019, Alma Cider, you went to the winery gentleman, you said, I got, you know, these pears and stuff, but how did all that become a business for you? Oh yeah. So um, my, uh, what my kids were in preschool and somebody else at the preschool, we were waiting around to pick up the kids and they had just gotten out of a business and 
it was an agricultural business. And I said, Hey, I, I'm looking to start an agricultural business. And I have this idea about cider fruit. And I kind of told them what I just told you about the gap um, and the needs for it. And so uh, we decided to, to start up a business. And so, um, so much went into, you know, thought into the name and, and our logo and, um, and then things took off and, uh, our first year we produced 500 gallons and we had an expected release date. We're gonna have a big release party, cider release party on uh, March 21st, 2020. And perfect timing. Yeah. (laughs) So about, uh, four days before the party, the uh, governor of Washington, um, said, you know, no large gatherings. We have a pandemic and, uh, as a nurse, uh, we we decided that um, even though for the, our numbers we could have had the party, we didn't want to put anybody's life or health in jeopardy, and so we canceled the party. And um, my original partner, um, super talented graphic designer, he made our logo. Um, he decided he didn't want to be in the orcharding business or the cider making business. And, um, so we, we split ways. Um, and then I just continued on. So from 500 gallons, uh, the next year we made more in 2020. And then, um, we just pressed even more fruit now in 2021. And so it's, it's really just our, our family business. So my wife and I, and our kids, I drag them out here to the winery and, uh, they're lucky kids. Yeah. So Some days maybe they don't see it, but you know, seeing that growing, being one with the land, being one and producing something with your hands, I think is so valuable. And it's such a wonderful, I think for your family to see that, I think that's, that's just fantastic for you and your wife. Oh, thank you, Rich. Yeah. So as nurse, sometimes I don't see outside. Uh, I help deliver babies and um, sometimes I don't see outside for, you know, 12, 14 now recently, 16 hours at a time. And, um, sometimes I miss holidays, um, my kids' birthdays. Cause I, somebody has to be at work always, you know, nurses don't take days off. And so I really wanted to be outside. And, um, um, before I went to school for nursing, I went to school for fisheries biology. And I really just like being outside and growing stuff. And I think I've had a, a million jobs. I've worked in a lot of places and looking back, I think, you know, each thing that I've done, whether it was being a plumber or working in a restaurant or being a bartender. All these things have given me little uh, insights into what I'm doing now. And, um, you know, whether it's speaking to somebody or um, kind of creating this new bottling line that, you know, lots of pipes and tubes that we got to put together or irrigation line out in the orchard. Um, It's like an accumulation to what I'm doing now. So I just collect knowledge and information wherever I go. But You mentioned a couple of things, Pacific Northwest Cider. What characteristics do you see of that? You know, if, if somebody says, well, this comes from this area, this comes from this area, but I'm picking up a bottle of cider, the, the Pacific Northwest, what can the characteristics, what, what do you think people should expect from that? Yeah. So I think just if you start with uh, how you look at a cider, so you're going to um, kind of do an assessment before you ever even taste or smell it. You're going to pour it in a glass likely. Right. And so it'll be uh, 
typically at least our ciders will be um, brilliantly clear. It'll be have a nice light kind of a gold or light amber color um, outside of our rosés, which are, uh, you know, more pink. Um, and then going on to the flavors, uh, the aromas are going to have like um, big apple aromas, pear aroma. Um, on to the flavors, I think this will be the most distinct thing about uh, Pacific Northwest ciders. They're going to be sharper than other ciders. So um, we're growing lots of cider fruit. And I think um, tannins are, are really important. Um, a lot of people don't want crazy heavy tannin ciders right now. But I think as they drink more of it, they're looking for something bolder, you know. Um, so as it's people's palates like mature pretty quickly, I think even over a year. Um, two Thanksgivings ago, I brought some some nice I thought ciders to, to the table and um, uh, wild fermented stuff from, you know, nearby. And um, people took a sip and were like, that's interesting. Uh, and I was able to consume most of the bottles to myself, which is fine. I See, if you would have invited me, we would have <laughs> we would have done some damage and shared those together. We yeah. would have done that. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of wild ferments. And that leads me to a question. Your yeast. So you're collecting within and around the area, you're collecting yeast samples as, as part of doing your wild ferment right now? No, no, no. So actually right now we're, we're pitching yeast. It's all cultured yeast. Okay. And uh, but we make such little product. I really need it to come out really well. And our, um, we're inside of a building, but it is um, essentially ambient temperature with a shell over the top. And so we need to be able to ferment it. Um, so at the end of our season, when we're picking and pressing apples just before Halloween, it starts getting pretty cold here and we're not able to ferment, um, uh, you know, once the temperature outside is, is dropping down in the thirties then you're not fermenting. So um, for now we are pitching yeast, but as my own apples come, uh, I really want to show off the terroir. And um, so I will use the yeast that's, that's present in our environment. Right now we're picking apples from several areas nearby and um, it's not, I'm not managing that fruit. And so it's not really my, while it is in the Skagit Valley, it's, it's not my terroir. Um, to showcase but as we have more volume more product we get to play more we experiment every year with stuff um and so i think we will definitely have a lot more wild uh yeasts and ferments um as we continue to grow you mentioned your aging process and yeah. in my mind what I'm trying to, are you aging in the bottles themselves? Or are you aging in different vats that are holding the juice? What's the aging process look like for you? Yeah. So there's a building where, so we, um, we have a press pad. And so it's a covered building that's otherwise open where we bring in apples and we press into juice and then we move them next door where we have a fermentation room. And so we, pump them out of uh, IBC totes um, 
international bulk containers that are usually 250 gallons. We'll pump them into large stainless steel tanks. And then that is where they do the majority of their aging in tanks. We also have a, a new barrel program. Um, we have lots of barrels. Uh, last year, I actually, um, we got best in class at Glint Cap, which was uh, quite the honor and surprise uh, for our barrel aged single varietal uh, Gravenstein apple, which is uh, one of my favorite apples. Um, so we're aging in stainless and we're aging in barrels. And then, uh, after it's bottled, uh, so we're, we're really small and self-distributed. Um, we distribute from here at the, at the winery and then wholesale to uh, in the region, including a couple of people that, that sell it um, online. And it's able to go to you know, 48 states. But uh, so once it's in bottle, it takes a while to, to go through that inventory. And so it ages longer in the bottle, too. And I think um, as compared to cans, so cans have this uh, BPA liner that um, cider has uh, malic acid in it, malic, like as in malice, as in apple. And so it's, uh, it's a acid from the apple, which is why you have sharp apples, if you could imagine, um, you know, a dessert apple like Grady Smith being like tart um, or uh, there's a, New Zealand apple that's called Cola, K-O-L-A, and it's like the most sharpest apple that you've ever eaten. Um, so the malic acid is really um, harmful to that BPA liner. So if you put it in cans, this is my opinion, but also from research that um, I've seen through the American Cider Association and the Northwest Cider Association, uh, the cans can't hold up to it. And it it changes as the malic acid eats that can liner. Glass does not have that. And I think it gets better as it sits in the glass. So it, as it ages um, even longer in the glass, it's gonna be even better. I have some bottles from, from 2019. Uh, recently I opened one, uh, uh, a French, French cider that I had, and it was, they have different rules there so they could put the, vin the vintage on but it was exquisite and uh, I'm guessing it was better now than it was when they bottled it. When you, when people, you know, find out about Alma cider and maybe they're not from the Northwest and they're just looking to discover, talk about the line or talk about the, the featured varietals, the expressions of cider right now that you're putting into bottles and what people yeah. can expect. Oh, absolutely. So um, we have a dry cider that is, um, uh, a blend of apples and so um, lots of ash means kernel and liberty apple in that one and that um, was grown just just nearby and some of it was grown across the street at the um, Washington State University Extension which actually is the largest in number of cider apple varieties research university research station in the United States and is right across the street from us. So we're super lucky. Um, so our dry cider is just that. It's got uh, just apples and just yeast fermented to dry. Um, really lovely palate. Um, lots of apple aroma, flavor, and aged six months. Um, so that's our dry. Uh, we just got a uh, approval for a formula. Uh, for our semi-sweet. So I'm not, 
if I was to, I like all ciders, but uh, if I was to reach into a cooler and I typically would not go for a sweet cider, but I don't make it for myself. And so I make it for everybody to enjoy. And so we make a semi-sweet, which is um, apple and then fermented dry and then back sweetened with some local uh, honey. And so it's not dry and it's not sweet. It's semi-sweet and uh, it's very popular. Um, it's super delicious and it, it incorporates some of those honey notes. Um, so right in our valley here, two of the largest honey producers on the West Coast produce honey here. And I didn't know it until I started talking to them but there's like varietal honeys and uh, these guys have like 13 varietal honeys that when you try the honey, it tastes just like that thing. Um, so that's, there's going to be a lot more experimentation with, with that. Um, you so are then we, in such a wonder, this, the area, <laughs> as you keep describing this Valley that you reside, it's yeah. just, yeah. It, but, but what I'm thinking is this is like, you have such quality ingredients, such quality resources that you almost can be like a mad scientist and just continue to create whatever your mind and ideas. Like you mentioned hops that this area oh, yeah. you're in grows more hops than anywhere else. Right. Well, it used to. We used to be the number Bring one. Them back. And now they uh, they grow them mostly on the east side of the mountains where it's a dry desert. Uh, they have um, irrigation from the Columbia River, um, but there are still hops that are grown here. We grow them in my backyard. They grow super easy. They grow like 20 feet every year, you know. Um, so we do make a hop cider as well. So it's a uh, cider. Good, because that was my next question. Do you, I think, in fact, I think, did you, you brought the hop cider to CiderCon? Did no, you bring that one? I, I didn't bring that one, um, but we're just, we're just uh, putting it out now. So um we also got a uh a ttb formula approval for that as well so um we have a, a hot cider uh high cider and then it's um we dry hop it with three types of hops so uh Nelson savon is new zealand hop but grown here in washington state and um it's savon similar to like sauvignon blanc and it goes really nice with uh, white wine and so I thought that would be nice to put in lighter. Uh, so it's like peppery, um, really aromatic. And we also put in lemon drop, super citrusy and juicy. And then mosaic is really fruity. Um, so just a teeny bit of that. And um, the three of them dry hopped for five days, sitting in a big um, stainless steel um, tank full of cider. And then I pull them out. And uh, I don't want it to be like, uh, you know, only hop flavor. So I want it, the cider to shine, but then it's just delicately hopped and it gives it a really nice aromatics and, and, and light flavors. Um, that one actually just won a double gold at uh, Sips Magazine. Um, it, it's really good. So my wife, who sadly does not like hops, that one's her favorite of our ciders, uh, just because it's so... Aromat. Uh, we just have another uh, two more single varietals. I'll tell you about real quick. Uh, we have we make a red flesh. We grow nine types of red flesh apples, and we have a rosé um, made with uh, red flesh. This year was a single varietal with uh, Arlai red flesh grown right nearby, 
and um, red flesh uh, rose uh, cider is is really exquisite, super tart and and juicy. Uh, think about like you know wearing sandals on the patio in the summer. Um, every time you take a sip, it, it just takes you right there. Um, and then this year we also made a quince cider, 100% quince. Yeah, one of the largest producers of quince is just just down the way uh, here in the area. A uh, really nice lady, uh, Edith from Willow Rose Bay on Weymouth Island. Um, I didn't mean to take up all your time blabbing you're, about You're not apples. taking up Sorry. all my time. I could talk to you, Dave, about cider and cider production and, and fruit. And that I feel like you've imparted so much knowledge. I feel so much smarter right now having talked to you. That's awesome. I, I could talk all day about this stuff. I really, I really love it. And uh, I want to get people pumped up about, about apples and, and cider and palm fruit. We also have a, a, a really nice peri from Peri Pears. Uh, we just planted a bunch of peri pears, including uh, four or five kinds of red flesh peri pears. So in the future, look out for a rosé peri. Mike, my question is all these varietals, all these different expressions, how do we, at least on the East Coast, how do we, you said you shipped to 48 states, but how do we get a hold of all this inventory? Because I'm sure the people in your area are flocking to it and you're selling out fast. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't uh, ship cider myself, but uh, I sell wholesale to a variety of stores and restaurants and um, including a couple of people that do online sales. Um, Press Then Press out of Seattle. Uh, they ship to 48 states and they carry some of our cider. Also, uh, Compass Wines in uh, Anacortes. Uh, they also ship um, cider and wine. Um, on our website, you can go and look at retailers and find out where to get it near you. Yeah, so the best thing to do, Rich, is uh, go to your local shop and ask for Alma Cider and... Um, and then hopefully they'll reach out to us and we'll get it to them so they can, we can get it in your hands. Well, I think one of the things that we've had the benefit of joining, and we talk about this all the time, is the Northwest Cider Association, the Northwest Cider Club, where they'll ship anywhere. There's two different degrees. There's two different varieties, but we get them both. And we get somewhere between 11 and 15 bottles of cider quarterly. And we'd love to see, you mentioned so many of those maybe Northwest Cider Club will just do an Alma Cider box and they'll send, all, <laughs> they'll send them all. Um, but yeah. that, that Rosé, the Hop Cider, you got the Barrel Age program going. There are some just, what you're doing, I mean, in the short amount of time that you've learned and, and are growing the fruit and making cider, one of the questions that before you, I, I know you have little little left time, time left. Are you going to be shipping some of the juice or some of the apples that you're personally growing so let's say somebody on the East Coast was looking to maybe use some of these cider apples. Is that in the plan? Yeah, we are. Um, so number one, we're, we're farmers, right? We're orchardists. And so my plan was to grow a lot of apples and sell them. And so we're going to keep some for ourselves and just stay small and make, you know, really high quality cider. But um, we have the facility and the ability to, we're already growing apples, but to press apples. And if, if somebody wants apples or juice, uh, we'll find a way to get it to them. Because I, th I think this is the next level. I mean, one of the things that I hear when you talk about just, you don't just make cider, you take different varieties of apples 
and that makes the juice and that makes cider. And it's almost like saying, well, you know, we have a Pinot Noir grape and we have a Merlot and we have a it's understanding that people don't just buy a bottle of wine. They buy the grape that's in the wine. People don't buy a bottle of cider and or the next level is you're not buying a bottle of cider. You're buying the varietal of, of, of apple or what else is going into that bottle. And I think that's, again, that's that next level that you're bringing to the world. And I love it. Yeah, we uh, if you come out, well, we can put out, you know, right now, next fall, we put out like 60 kinds of apples on a table. You could taste each one. So we have some great cider makers up here that are already doing things like this. You could try single varietal ciders. You could try like 18 different kinds from um, a place nearby, Renaissance Orchards. Um, another place here in Mount Vernon, uh, Ragged and Wright. We have uh, Terra Mar. Uh, we have uh, Burro Loco Cider. We have Railroad Cider. We have... Uh, uh, so I feel bad that I'm not mentioning more people, but um, we've, I, we could come take a... You should have uh, set up a Pacific Northwest Cider Tour and then come by and we'll take you on a tour to not only to where we produce Alma, but all the other great cider makers in the area. And, um, and you could try, you know, a crazy ton of, of different varieties and styles of, of apple, uh, which are fermented into cider. Um, it would to, actually on Saturday, we just had the first Skagit Valley Cider Fest and there was 15 um, local um, cideries. And everybody brought their best stuff. It was delicious. It was a fundraiser for um, uh, Viva Farms, this uh, great uh, farm, um, sustainable farming uh, organization that helps drop barriers for people wanting to get into farming, especially women and minorities. Um, They provide uh, land for people to use, equipment. They teach classes. Here's the thing. I, I'm looking forward to seeing you at CiderCon in Chicago coming up, yeah. hopefully. Um, I hope to be here's what I can say. You know, we met at CiderCon in Richmond. I'm I'm grateful for your time. And even more so that, you know, for us and me and Dawn, you become a friend of Fermented Adventure. And I can't wait to have more of your cider, hear more about what's happening with your cidery and with what you're doing at your orchard and your vineyard. And, and this is exciting because I feel like, you know, we're watching a friend grow and, and do well. And we all do well when you do well. Yeah, thank you very much, Rich. I appreciate talking to you and um, all the best to you and Don. And I just have to know, since you're from Philadelphia, what do you like on your cheesesteak? Cheese Whiz or cheese? No, I, I go for the provolone. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So just cheese. All right. All right. I go with mushrooms. Yeah, I go camps. with mushrooms and provolone. And yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit eclectic on that. Dave will be talking to you soon, and I can't wait to see you again. All right. Hey, thanks, Rich. Take care. Thank you.